Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. Once again, we'll be delivering 20 minutes or so of our thoughts on issues in and around the hotel investment space to you, dear listener. Uh, my name is Chris Bowne, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the podcast by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And if you like what you hear, do pop along to hotelanalyst.co.uk, where you can read more and find out about subscribing to our virtual newsletter. This week, we're going to start by taking a look at uh, some a roundup of the sort of latest uh, UK European um, hotel groups uh, second quarter results and what's been what's distinctive about these. Uh, we looked at Delata, we looked at PPHE, Motel One, and Travelodge. But what's remarkable is that all of these uh, groups have been confidently uh, holding on their their room rates. And even though the their occupancy levels have yet to get to the same levels enjoyed in 2019 before the pandemic, they are already performing more strongly thanks to sticking with those higher rates. So the rev pars are already above 2019 levels. Um, businesses continue to come back quite strongly uh, earlier in the UK and than than in mainland Europe, but Germany is also now coming back strong. Motel One is is enjoying a great uh, resurgence of of business activity, and uh, all looks fairly set fair, despite, as we've mentioned before, you know the economic headwinds. Uh, these these guys, the CEOs, are fairly confident that they're going to do well for the rest of the year. So um, a remarkable um, standing shoulder to shoulder uh, and keeping rates strong. Yeah, I mean, we have said this so many times before that I'm, um, it, it's almost becoming a cliche now, but the, it is a rate-led recovery. Uh, and this is quite unusual for recoveries. They normally, you build back occupancy and then you start pushing up rate. But what we've seen here is exceptionally strong room rates. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean double-digit above where they were in 2019 um, but occupancy is still you know significantly down and just to give some actual figures on that um, there are some str numbers for the week up to 10th of september the latest ones um, morgan stanley looks at this every week and just i'll just um, pinch their figures and um, what, what they showed for that week to 10th of september in the US um, room rates are up 11%, 17% in Europe, that's ex-UK, and up 6% in the UK in that week. Um, but what we're also seeing is, is um, occupancy has still got a little way to go. So if we look, this is all comparison when I say those um, increases, that's in comparison with the same week in 2019. Um, and if we look at the comparison in terms of occupancy, so it, it's 8 uh, percentage points lower in Europe, 11 percentage points lower in the US. That's partly because of the shift in their uh, equivalent of a um, bank holiday Labor Day. Um, and it's uh, six percentage points lower in the UK. So it's quite extraordinary just how strong rate is um, while we're still waiting for occupancy to get back fully to where it was um, and so what you've got is you know this this kind of headwinds versus tailwinds position um, and it's so there's undoubtedly we've got some very difficult economic headwinds over the next six months plus um, it, it's, it's going to be quite difficult but there are clear signs that actually these tailwinds are going to take us through this very nicely. Thank you. Um, but it, you know, it, it, it is difficult to call which way it's going to 
uh, you know go um and i in my commentary that, that this week i've written about there's a difference between whether you're a booster um or whether you're a doomster and <laughs> and the idea is you know which one either net net you know i don't think any booster is suggesting there aren't headwinds they're just suggesting that the tailwinds are stronger and if you're a doomster it's obviously the other way around um i remain a booster i have to say and i think you know despite everything about this whole corporate uh, travel recovery we, we that is still coming back and uh, numbers um, from the global business travelers association again collated by morgan stanley um, they're at the highest levels in terms of companies expecting to come back and start traveling again than they have been since the start of the covid lockdowns so um, it's really for the US, but 81% of companies expect to come back with domestic travel in the next three months, 56% um, to resume international travel. Um, so we've still got quite a bit. There's that 20 you know, percent who aren't yet traveling. I don't know who they are, actually. Um, and nearly half haven't you know, started traveling um, internationally. As that kicks in, that's terrific tailwinds um that's the that's the booster argument um the doomster one would be well actually that's never going to come back you know people are working from home economic um um retrenchment is going to see to it that that, that they won't you know companies aren't going to want to um get traveling again anyway so you've got that piece um i i still i, I remain of the opinion that net net we're probably um better it, it it's more positive um the other thing um which came out of these uh, uh morgan stanley sort of weekly numbers was the there's a thing uh, um they look at which is from similar web which looks at uh, um searches on um uh, google et al well mostly obviously just google and what you see here is um that the stronger brands are garnering more searches and um, even quite strong but slightly weaker brands and they highlighted uh, uh, Premier Inn um, versus Travelodge so Premier Inn was up 161% of pre-lockdown levels um, while Travelodge was up 115% both obviously in the very positive territory but clearly Premier Inn is out there surging ahead and that does suggest to me that as we get going in this um, recovery a bit more um, it's going to be the bigger brands that actually win out here and I think it's going to be quite a difficult time for the smaller chains and the unbranded properties um, it, not the least of which is the access to capital I think you know rising interest rates going to make things quite tough there we're going to see corporate failures but as this as these uh, properties exit the market it actually acts as a further tailwind for those left in the market now Whitbread has spoken about this uh, you know midway through the pandemic it was uh, talking about how it sees the recovery playing out and it does seem so far to be going as they as they called it um, that they're going to have significant opportunity as this recovery gets going over the next 18 um, to 24 months as smaller businesses without access to capital exit um, there's going to be opportunities uh, for Whitbread both from the fact that uh, um, there's going to be a demand boost with these people leaving the market and opportunities to acquire sites etc so it, it, it yes it's a question we've got difficult times ahead but for a number of uh, companies I think that this is going to provide some of the best opportunities out there 
and at risk of droning on too much um <laughs> oh no um for our listeners um you know this brings us back again to the whole economic outlook piece and what's been going on now you know regular listeners will know that you know early on um in 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 covid we said this is going to be the worst thing the industry's ever seen now we were an outlier there in terms of how pessimistic we were because we said that it's going to be super grim you know you had people talking about oh it'll be back in three months etc etc and then we said no this is a probably a two-year kind of thing going on here it's going to be very very tough um you know we we got that right chris mm -hmm. i think um we also came out quite early saying the recovery was going to be super strong now i will concede that we were too early out of the um the, the, uh, with that saying um predict but the recovery has been super strong um there's no question of that from a hotel perspective now it's what happens in terms of this whole inflation piece and where we're going now i think the economic runes are suggesting we might be at the peak of the problem um, and that things are going to slowly but surely get better and um, there are signs that um, i'm going to whisper this but there are signs <laughs> that inflation is peaking and if you look at the actual numbers right you know rather than the apocalyptic headlines um, i think this is quite clear so let's just throw a few numbers out there so real pay now it went down in the last set of numbers from the office for national statistics the uk's main statistical body government uh, body um, it went down the previous release last month's um, it was down three percent a record drop in real pay while real pay went down 2.6 percent which is uh, you know still down but it's a good sign and you know there are still those um, high single digit increases that were enjoyed enjoyed uh, uh, a year ago so they're still we're still if you like feeding off that plus we're feeding off the uh, the saved up money that people still have actually net net from um, during the COVID, the COVID lockdowns um, so actually I, th I still think this can you know there is not going to be this collapse in consumer demand everybody's fearing so far if we actually see this real pay catch up so it's no longer declining which as inflation tails off may happen and if we look at the inflation numbers they went down in august so if we look at cpih which is the most robust measure of inflation um, that's um, consumer price inflation with housing costs rolled in that was at 8.6 percent in august um, better than the 8.8 percent in july energy prices are also again whisper this quietly mm -hmm. but quite remarkable what's happened in terms of uh, energy prices over the last few weeks in which they've halved off their peak now there's no question their peak was terrifying um and and there's no question that we are still at very elevated levels and there's no you know it's going to be a difficult period in terms of utility costs but it's clear that the cost you know that that they're not going up anymore and you know they're well down from that 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 big big peak um so i mean they are actually below the peak that was reached um first time around when russia invaded ukraine back in february so february the 24th just after that it peaked up well we're below that level it reached then so that you know there's good news there and there's uh, i mean certainly if you look at the inflation figures what we're seeing the ons said actually it was the price of oil going down that had actually took um some of the steam out of inflation where we've still got 
significant inflation is in food costs at the consumer end but if you look at the wholesale end so the UN does a uh, an index of global food prices well these have been going down for five months on the trot the latest data show they fell by 1.9 percent in August so you know that will feed through quite soon in terms of uh, um, consumer end food prices so we've got energy prices coming down we've got food prices coming down and um, it's all indicating that you know these these you know again apocalyptic headlines about 20 percent plus inflation looks vastly overblown and you know uh, we're still going to be seeing significant inflation compared to what we have seen but probably we're going to get down to um, low single digits it could well be within a year um, so uh, you know I, I I remain very much on the booster end of this argument actually given all this data that's out there given how much the government's stepping in with its see this is the UK government but governments generally have been stepping in so you know they've had a complete price freeze in France um, we're doing a very similar thing here now in the UK the government's announced its energy price guarantee the full details of that um, aren't yet out because of the uh, um, they've been slightly delayed because obviously with the the, the death of the Queen um, um, normal government business has has been paused but um, we will get that um, and in particular what's necessary is the the help that's being out there for businesses but what the government did say um, when it was announced um, it was actually on the same day that the Queen died um, um, the government said look we're going to freeze these prices and there's going to be at least a six-month scheme which is going to kick in from the 1st of October so it's quite clear businesses are going to have that and on, they've said what they're doing directly for consumers and they're capping the price uh, of gas they're capping the price of electricity um, so you know that in itself is going to cut inflation just capping that um, but also it's going to ensure that we're not going to have this consumer spending slowdown that we might otherwise have had if consumers were forced to spend their cash on energy so the concluding thing is you know the boosters have evidenced to support their optimism i think there's no question doomsters also have plenty of evidence as well um, and calling where the balance is is not tough and you've just got to take a, a position our position is actually we're more booster than doomster but you've got to acknowledge those doomster bits but let's stay positive i think you know this is actually going to come out of this much better much sooner than um certainly the worst um you know in terms of those most apocalyptic doomster predictions now we've been taking a look uh, next at what's going on in the ota land landscape across Europe, not least because the uh, European Commission has uh, recently published a, uh, an updated report they've done on the whole relationship between OTAs and hotels across various European countries. This updates a uh, report they did in 2016, so they'll be looking at what's changed. Uh, the short answer is not an awful lot. Uh, the, the numbers have moved a little bit here and there, but uh, by and large the landscape seems to be one of frenemies. Uh, the independent hotels using OTAs a little bit more, the big brands and chains using OTAs perhaps a little bit less, commissions haven't uh, moved dramatically, uh, and there hasn't been a skirmish for a while on the whole business of rate parity, uh, or indeed there hasn't been any kind of new regulation from any of the European states on that in some well. So uh, it all looks fairly calm on the surface, however there are some uh, some interesting currents underneath, uh, one of which is the uh, incoming uh, Digital Markets Act in Europe, which 
Uh, looks like it's designed primarily to bridle um, platforms such as Google and Facebook, uh, but could uh, also be used to keep uh, closer tabs on uh, big businesses such as Booking.com, uh, maybe Expedia. And of course, the, uh, the other big issues also are what Google does next. They've recently dropped out of providing a kind of booking link uh, via search engine uh, for hotels and also for flights because they, they see no, no demand for that. Well, what are they going to be doing instead? Let's wait and see. And of course, the other issue is the big brands are forever trying to get more and more of us as consumers onto their uh, loyalty programs so that we will book our hotels in future in their app and not go on that pesky internet and spot anything else from another brand group. So um, steady as she goes, uh, frenemies swimming in lane. Yes, um, it was a very interesting study. So it's the market study on the distribution of hotel accommodation in the EU, and it can be downloaded the nearly 200 pages of it um, can be downloaded from the European Commission website. Um, sadly, um, for those of us who really wanted to get in some detail here, the Commission, I don't oh. know why, but they've redacted a whole yeah, the bunch numbers. of the most yeah, interesting yeah. numbers. You know, so, you know, uh, what are the Commission rates? So that they didn't actually, they, they didn't tell you that. They just gave you this little symbol with a Somewhere between 10 and 20. Saying, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and it's, you know, oh, that's annoying because you'd really love to know that wouldn't you um so i mean you know what we have been seeing i think um people who haven't redacted their numbers um when i've spoken to them um it, definite declines in terms of commission rates which is a good news story from a hotel owner's perspective um certainly um but there were you know there were some actual figures in there and they were quite interesting in terms of what's going on in the marketplace so you know who is the dominant ota and it won't be a surprise i think to understand that it's booking with 88 percent of all of the independent and chain hotel surveyed using it um expedia was the next at 61 percent 16% were using HRS which is you know it's, it's an OTA which we don't actually cover that much and um, just 12% of hotels uh, in the, in the um, study were using Airbnb and it was Airbnb actually which varied the most so no hotels, 0% hotels uh, were using Airbnb in Sweden, 40% uh, in Cyprus. Now one would make the assumption that that's because Sweden is a bit more hostile to the Airbnb concept, and, um, and and Cyprus is much more around sort of holiday let type things, which is why Airbnb makes a bit more sense there. But uh, nonetheless, it's quite interesting to see that uh, um, difference between there. Um, the other thing uh, uh, which is interesting is to look at just how um, how much of a hold OT. OTAs have in terms of the the market so and you know where that was shifting so um uh, there was sort of an increase for OTAs and if we look at chain hotels because the, the this um, study divides between chain hotels and independent hotels and the chain hotels um, OTA use did increase uh, from 2018 to 2020 went up from 22.7 to 25.7 um, but the direct channel also this is direct online channel um, 
also went up from 13.5 to 14.5%. So actually a more mixed performance there with chain hotels. I would have thought they would have done a bit better. Clearly not. Um, and we still see outsized growth with the OTAs. But very interestingly, you take that and look again um, with um, independent hotels. It's actually their direct um, online um, independent hotels, which has um, increased the the best which is um you know so i i was quite surprised by that um and in fact direct online hotels for independence went from 13 percent in 2018 to uh 18 percent in 2020 so that's quite um um, hang on so sorry i just better be clear and that's 2015 to 2021 so slightly different period there um so um but you know I check these numbers in the thing itself but what what the main point is that uh, um what we're seeing is reasonable strength with um independence in terms of getting their uh d direct online thing going um so why independence were presumably better than the chain hotels is that the, the, it's 2021 when the that was during the the, the covid recovery piece um or even mid covid lockdown piece actually and um, when people were booking direct more naturally anyway um we'll have to wait and see how that lasts once we get out into the the true um post covid period post covid lockdown period so um the other thing which um came out for me was the um the difference between um how much otas cost relative to how much direct online sales cost again unfortunately we got this uh, blinking range thing but the the range was 10 to 20 percent with the cost of commissions um but the range for um direct sales costs cost of sales direct was naught to five percent so clearly much more profitable to get those if you know assuming you're getting the same rate much more profitable to get the direct sales um so that that suggests that you know there has been some talk saying how much it costs if you're driving direct it is can actually prove more expensive that doesn't appear to be the case in the evidence from the data here um and that suggests that actually um the big brands are right to, to say to the owners look yeah we might take a short-term hit here but this is for the long-term benefit of the sector um for you as owners if we have more coming um direct through the 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 branco rather than through the ota so i think that that's an interesting read through i think from some of these these pieces so i think there's a lot to digest in it um it could have given us even more to digest had we had some <laughs> actual real numbers but but an interesting study now we had a look at uh, what's going on in the whole business of finding people and uh, filling up your your uh, empty jobs um, the whole situation which seems to be dragging on and on and not solving itself uh, across Europe and perhaps even further into into North America as well um, we've in, in the UK we've just had uh, figures which suggest that unemployment has fallen to its lowest level since 1974 and this despite the fact that lots of people are still short of employees and looking for additional staff um, there's various suggestions as to why this might be including uh, the fact that uh, perhaps lots and lots of people are waiting for they're off sick because they're waiting for operations on the uh, from the ailing NHS. Um, but um, uh, there are a number of initiatives still ongoing to try and uh, improve the situation in the UK. There's a petition to allow uh, try and allow more EU nationals uh, permits to come and work uh, in the Portugal. The uh, authorities there are speeding up applications from 
um, workers for, uh, from other Portuguese-speaking nations to get them into their country to alleviate their staff shortages. Um, and then set against this, some interesting initiatives from one or two um, uh, hotel companies, including um, the German group Ruby, who have announced they're going to uh, push through a shorter working week. Um, so despite all the staffing pressures, they reckon they can bring their, their working hours down to 35 a week for all of their team members. Um, this follows an interesting initiative they uh, they launched a few months ago where they, they went to hire more staff and offered them uh, a, a a bonus payment to uh, cover the cost of new tattoos, um, which uh, is quite an interesting uh, uh, <laughs> development. But yeah, this seems to be a problem that's carrying on. There don't seem to be any obvious uh, solutions. But one thing that does seem to be clear from one or two of the hotel groups that are now pushing on and reopening and building business quite nicely is that those people who did hold on to their staff and their core teams through the pandemic seem to have been in a much better position coming out of it than those who put uh, lots of people on furlough. Yeah, I, we've got this ongoing uh, conundrum in our sector where everybody moans about the fact that hospitality isn't seen as a high, high you know, desirable career. It's not a great place to work. And yet they pay terribly, it pays terribly and offers rubbish hours. Well, <laughs> mm, maybe you can do something about that by paying people better and, and not making them work such horrible hours. Um, it's, 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 you know, in the cliche it's not rocket science um so this is the bit that's going to have to shift rather than the let's ship in a whole bunch of cheap labor which you know which is where it comes from that let's get you know open up the eu people coming back in again on the on the cheap well actually no i think if we're going to have some real change in the sector if we're going to make the sector which i think the sector does offer enormous opportunity um it's a great fun place to interact um you can get more responsibility going to work in hospitality than you can in almost any other sector you can move up the tree um quicker faster um all of these good things that are there but you just need to pay people a bit better and treat them a bit better and that's what's going to create the shift um but and within that and um, you know how do you do that without going bust hmm. is the basic one of course um well the way you do that is to improve productivity to do something about that so technology is an obvious route there which can come in and have a big impact and it's just been we've underinvested as a sector in technology our productivity has been very poor um you know in terms of our improving our productivity we've got a very bad record there we need to address these issues this is the way out of this not by importing more cheap labor that is not not a solution and i think there's a you know there's a couple of things head you know going to benefit this the first is there's a clear uh cyclical shift at the moment in terms of how um labor is going to start earning a bigger share of the pie than capital and i think there's a big push here that we, we've got to do something about this both cyclical and secular in terms of the changes that are coming there's a long-term trend here i would suggest um whereby there's a repositioning because a long while we've been seeing you know whether it's corporate lawyers investment bankers et al um who you know have very good cognitive abilities and they have these massive relative rewards to the rest of us um um or people who are 
um, have empathy and sort of heart skills and people who have uh, practical skills sort of hand skills and there's you know those people with heart and hand work just haven't been rewarded as well as they should have been relative to those who are using their head work now we've I've talked about him before but there's an author called David Goodhart he's a he's a think tanker um, but his book head hand heart I think is the best exposition of this in terms of how we need I mean it goes into great depth about the problems that we have as a society for over rewarding the head work and under rewarding the hand and heart work well you know uh, this is going to shift it's being shifted because of the populist politics we've got at the moment because we've had 30 40 years of um, ordinary folk not being paid properly um, and relatively their position has been declining that is changing and has to change otherwise we're going to have some quite significant uh, political unrest i would suggest um the, you know the likes of donald trump marine le pen etc comes out of these problems um with the, the the lack i mean this isn't you know everybody betrays it as some sort of um sort of racism or something like this nothing really to you know i i would contend there are it's a small minority of the supporters of these people that are genuinely racist the the, the main thing is that they're just fed up with with being treated how they've been treated for the last few decades and they need to get treated better and the hospitality industry is in the forefront of um enabling that change and implementing that change i would suggest because we are a growth sector we're a sector which is going to provide a key better future employment and we're part of the shift into the whole experience economy um, and this secular shift into the experience economy is the bit that's going to drive um, the the better pay for people with heart and hand skills because you know it's less about cognitive things it's much more about that empathy piece in terms of giving you that great experience so i think there's a lot of reasons to think this is going to shift and um I, I think i would urge hospitality employers to wake up to this and do what ruby have done which is to improve the lot of their employees um and we're seeing this i mean we knew we've got whitbread the biggest hotel chain in the uk has you know been given very significant pay rises to its employees way above them um, now the average living wage i think it is it's paying above that in across the across its um, entire estate um and you know we need to see much more of that uh, and more um and start having some good productivity increases by adopting smart technology to this week um, well, it has to be. Um, we're recording this on the morning of Her Majesty's uh, funeral, um, the Queen Elizabeth II, and a, quite an incredible spectacle it is. Um, and in, in in terms of the, you know, it's a testament actually. I mean, to travel and tourism, really, um, in terms of bringing people together, which is what our industry does. And this is what's happening. You know, um, at one level, I suppose you could say for the wrong reasons um, because it's a death, but actually it's a celebration of that life i would um portray it as an incredible 70 years you know as the the, the head of state of the united kingdom and the uh, various other countries that um, have her as head of state or had her as head of state um and and i think this is an amazing um you know just about when we're just about finishing here chris i'm going to nip off and watch the funeral itself so and it, it, it's it, it's quite something and that clearly has and those stars are stars. going to um jd power survey or the results from a jd power survey we've just spotted recently so um 
yeah this is just just in the us but i think i think it's a sign of something to watch out for which is in terms of uh consumer satisfaction with quality and standards has is going down and this was a survey of third-party um hotel management companies and it showed um a, a you know a statistically significant not huge but a, a statistically significant decline in guest satisfaction and this is something i think which needs to be watched and um i think as we come as we get we're talking about these huge rate rises well you know not surprisingly consumers expect to get something for these huge rate rises so it's not just a case of putting your room rates up you've also got to deliver on that and and that is the big challenge for for service and for the management piece um and you know it, it's mixed picture right now some are getting it right and are going to the top of the scales others aren't and i think there's going to be a divergence here between the good and the bad and uh, this is a warning shot um about that. say goodbye for now